This is the one with ultra radiation level Q 7.325. A gravitic anomalizer. A meddlesome hussy. A horny adversary. And some of the noisiest flaws in the Skonos Empire. It's called the Horns of Naimon. <laughs> <laughs> Here, we Here we go. go. Embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space Counting Daleks, Talent, Boot and the Cybertronic race Suntarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes please Episode by episode we're trudging down this temporal Come join us on this odyssey, what other choice could there be than Who back when? Who back when? Well, hello there, beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful, stupendous people outside of this recording session in <laughs> Podcast Man listening to it. <laughs> we established that's you, listeners. Yes, okay. Um, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. That lovely voice there came from a friend of mine, a dear friend, a oh. friend of yours, I like to feel as well. Oh. You'd call him Leon. Hello, Hello that's Leon. me. Hi. <laughs> I recognize you too. Uh, Who are you? Could you recognize me? Because I'm Jim. You should, should know me by now. Um, yeah, silly I'm of me. Hello, Jim. The compare for this evening. Do take your seats and uh, settle in for the Horns of Naimon, C108. Respectfully, I refuse. For me, it will always be the horns of Nimon. <laughs> Fair enough. Nimon, <laughs> Nimon. You say Nimon and I say Nimon. No, the other way around. <laughs> so, top level, how are we feeling about it? Well, <laughs> right. I don't want to give a one-word answer to that for two reasons. Number one, a member of Podcast Land, Doc Oho himself, has a podcast called the, <clears throat> final say it, the Nymon be praised. Nymon be praised. So clearly the Horns of Nymon is a bit of a favourite there. Also, Michael Ridgway of Michael Ridgway fame recommended that Drew watch this one. And Drew may even pop in later on with a little mini review. So clearly this is a, a favourite of Michael's as well. But... <laughs> <laughs> and it is a big but, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to offend anyone. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't I don't know if this is universal for podcast land, but this serial didn't really resonate with me. I, I Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. I'm sorry, that's a very long-winded answer. What, what did you think? Same page club, buddy. Hooray! Yeah, i very intrigued to, to hear if people got a lot of enjoyment out of this serial, because, yeah, I don't think I did. Well, all the more reason for us to have a fantastic soiree picking it apart. <laughs> Most definitely. Before we get into the little nitty-gritty bits, shall we give Podcast Land a little bit of summary or a little introduction to where this serial is all coming from? Some kind of bite-sized chunk of who? Oh, that is a spiffing suggestion. Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. A pilot, a co-pilot, and a bunch of people in yellow jumpsuits are jetting across space in a decrepit craft from the Skonan Empire. Said jumpsuit aficionados are in fact being brought from their home planet of Anef to be used as tributes to a local deity called the Nymon. The overzealous co-pilot manages to break the ship, however, and in addition to nearly collapsing themselves into a black hole, his unorthodox maneuver sucks in the TARDIS. Thankfully, the Time Lord duo are able to repair the damage before it's too late, but they don't leave 
before the co-pilot speeds off with his tributes and a fresh Gallifreyan hostage, Romana, to sacrifice to the Nymon, or Nimon. So while she must now lead the Anaths through the inevitable labyrinth on Skonos, Doc must race to catch up with the action. Beescow over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? Where would you like to start? I think I kind of want to start with the Nymon. Do you think that's uh, a reasonable place, or do you have some better starting points? No, go for it. Because you, you've given a nice cushion to the people that might might have taken a lot of more enjoyment from this cereal. Maybe they grew up with it, and it has a particular place in their, their lovely, fluffy heart. I genuinely thought the Nymon was one of the worst things I've seen in recent classic coon. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way, though? Like, was it hammy in no, a good way? it wasn't bad enough to be good, either. It was just bad. <laughs> I don't know. Do you agree? What do you feel? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it looked like a high school stage production of BoJack Horseman. It, it was like... <laughs> oh my god, that's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> the Nymon is... Maybe we should describe this to people who haven't... I mean, obviously, go to whoback1.com and look at screenshots if, if you're unaware of this, or... Sorry, obviously, go and watch this serial. But the Nymon is he's a dude wearing half a slave layer outfit and a gigantic cardboard head, the mouth piece of which does not move. And he has a redonkulous walk, possibly because he's wearing platform shoes, that makes him look like he's holding a teeny tiny little turd between his cheeks. <laughs> So the walking I can forgive. Like, okay. That can just be the weird, weird movement of this character. This All right. Creature. Okay, sure. It was, it was the standing still I couldn't get on board with. Because he's constantly Cause the, moving his shoulders and his hands. Just No, just incredibly rigid. Like, <laughs> it was very obvious that they would be directed. Like, this is what this creature should be. It should be menacing. And then the director thought menacing was, ah, your arms should be at 30 degrees at all times. <laughs> And there should be no bend in the elbow. <laughs> like, make a big silhouette. That's that's to get the, the threat of this character. <laughs> yeah, just walks around like he's just put on his um, deodorant and is trying to dry his arms. Dry off, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel that in some scenes, the Naimon or even the Naimons were, they were moving the hands, like their forearms would move a little bit. Like unnaturally as well, and I thought that was possibly to overcompensate for the fact that there's zero facial movement. The headpiece is clearly just a headpiece. You can see at the back of it where it, like, where it's literally just a helmet. Like that, that's all it is. <laughs> it's not even very well disguised. But the, I, you know, I don't know what the worst thing about the Naimon is for me. I think just the motivation behind it, and also, you know what? Actually, I find it really hard to believe that a technologically advanced civilization doesn't gradually phase out growling from his vernacular yeah no that's a fair point actually I, I didn't really think about that like i i totally well I, I couldn't decide if i liked the growling in general but i hated it with the rest of the naimon creature like the the voice of the naimon normally doesn't fit the growl the behavior of the naimon normally doesn't fit the growl but the growling in itself was quite cool like <laughs> yeah, <I don't> mean, <laughs> this is true i mean th this is a straight up well not a straight up but this is as straight up as it gets if you do a sci-fi adaptation of the the story of Theseus and the Minotaur. But the, the Minotaur, yeah. or, or Minotaur, however you pronounce it, that was a beast. That was a like a monster. <laughs> so if you then give the... If you give the Minotaur superior intelligence and a horrible despotic motivation, then it should cease to be a beast. 
you know, I'm just really confused by this this creature's motivations. Yeah. Okay, so here are a few questions for you about the the Naimon then. How did it get there in the first place? To this particular planet, to yeah. Skonan? Yeah. Or Skonos. I forgot what the planet's called. There's something about they basically go from planet to planet and they use use the energy of the previous planet to get to the next one or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? And so so they because that's where the, the egg space shuttle capsule thing. That's going to the planet minus one. Is that right? Was that what it was that's called? That's the way I understand it. Anyway, uh, what was it called? Krinoth? Krinoth, yes, that's right. So the 9-1 race is currently on Krinoth. Yeah. Gorging on everything, but it's about to run out of stuff. So they've sent an ambassador, if you will. Sure. To Skonos to then take over that planet and then they'll, they'll all move over and start slurping up that. Is that right? Yes. That's basically it, how this, yeah, exactly. this race moves around. Yeah, Yeah. but so if if you have the ability to transport one dude and the whole facility, like the lab and it, this whole building, I'm assuming that's the spaceship. Like, you know, the Hornet building. I'm assuming that was how the, the Nymon arrived there in the first place. Why send it I there? Why not send why it to Aneth? Why not send it to Aneth? Because instead, what's happened oh. is they've <laughs> sent it to Planet of the Scones, where they go, right, well, there's, there's fuck all here. All the fuel, all the energy that we need to perpetuate our race is on this other planet, Aneth. Hey, get some get some kids to carry over buckets of it. Like, like get some kids with some beach balls to, like, carry over, like, beach balls worth <laughs> of fuel to a different planet and so that we can bring people here. But then, if they bring all the Naimons to the Scones, then all of a sudden, they're gonna, they're not gonna have any fuel anymore. They need to go to Aneth. That's where they should be going. Maybe this is where Soul Deed didn't quite fill them in on all the details. So, Naimon number one turns up and chats to Soul Deed and Soldi goes, yeah, we can get you this shit. Like, <laughs> I, I can totally deal that for you. Just just, uh, just just give me a week. I'll have it. Don't worry. Don't break my legs. Um, okay, but this has been going on for a long time, drop. right? Yeah, but maybe maybe they don't know that it's coming from a different planet. I don't know. Did, did, the, did anyone ever talk about NS? I don't know that they do, but this also falls into like just the Bermuda Triangle of a plot between these three worlds. They need lots of fuel to create this portal, right? Or to power the team at between Krenoth and Skonos. Mm -hmm. If they really believed that all of the fuel was on Skonos, they would just say, this is how much fuel we need, and in exchange for that, we will give you limitless technology, and yada, yada, yada. But they don't. They go, bring us over, you know, maybe a, a dozen kids with fuel at a time, and we'll make it happen. And this has clearly been going on for a while, because the, like, the kids know that they are tribute. Like, this is a tradition between these two worlds. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. So why not then say, bring us seven dozen tributes from Aneth at once, in one go, each one of them with a beach ball of fuel under their arm, and then we'll give you the fuel. Uh, then we'll give you the technology. Maybe, but maybe had that negotiation already. Maybe Soldeed was asked, like, we need, or like, the Naimon asked Soldeed, we need... A thousand units of I've forgotten the name of the, the beach beach balls. Uh, beach uh, balls. We need a a thousand beach yeah. balls. A thousand beach balls. And Soldi's like, uh it will take us three years to get you a thousand <laughs> beach balls. They're really rare and they take much resources to mine and all this kind of stuff. And the nine one are like, Well, we can't just wait three years and expect you to give us it all at once. You will give us it in a weekly scheduled payment system. <laughs> um with <laughs> 
3% interest. <laughs> but what has he been doing on this planet? He's just He's been collecting beach balls. This is the last shipment of beach balls that he needs. See, I'm sorry, this I don't buy it. This does this makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't really. Okay, here's another question for you then. So in the team mat, you can bring over maybe a maximum. If if you're willing to if you're willing to sit really close to your co-passengers, you can bring maybe three nymons at a time. Yeah. So how are you gonna bring a whole civilization over with this thing? Very slowly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe the, maybe there's a line of eggs like like a train that will just like shuffle along, like and but, then you. But when they go to Krynoth, it seems like Krynoth is just going to explode very soon. Like that is that's a dead planet. They don't have time, man. I don't know if it's no. I think they they want it to explode as a plan B, don't they? I think they've just mined like, it to to death. Like it it's not gonna it's gonna collapse or something. It's ob- it's obviously yeah on its last legs. That's why they're moving on. I, I didn't think it was like him and then like they they had a scheduled way of getting off. It wasn't it wasn't a problem until Doc interfered. That's how yeah. I like to live my life as well. A scheduled way of getting off. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I, I mean, we could spend all evening on this one topic, but my point is basically, like, if you make a scale of alien races trying to invade, like, planet hopping and invading one world at a time, that scale would have, let's say, the Independence Day aliens from the first Independence Day movie at the top, or, like, on one end, that's the max out, and this would be pretty close to the zero. Like, <laughs> that's kind of the scale for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. What I find interesting, actually, so the um, the BBC page for this episode, which was li- was linked from Wikipedia, yeah, and it has the roots for this story, and obviously there's Theseus and the Minotaur, mm-hmm. Minotaur, but one of the, I I don't know if this is purely because they mention like parasites and locusts, but Moses and the plagues of Egypt is written as a root. Oh um, really? How? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Like, I think it. There's I no Moses is, character in this, is there? I mean, I don't know all these roots very well, but I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. I mean, th- they don't even have like, oh, Seth was actually raised by scones, and then as he grows up, he learns of his heritage and, and he wants to free the, his people. It's not. N- I don't think there's anything like that. That's an interesting parallel, though. Also, what are the plagues? There are no plagues in this ser- serial. No, I, I remember the a vaguely offhand comment about... Because the nine ones are quite often referred to as being like a parasitic race. Yeah. Because they live on... Like, literally live on other races. They absorb their energy. And I thought at one point someone made reference in that same vein of them being like locusts. Okay. Which, as you've just pointed out, is quite laughable because <laughs> they're coming in like three at a time two, two three a time locusts <laughs> at a time oh no it's an invasion <laughs> what are we gonna do i don't know here's an idea close the door like yeah. just lock the door <laughs> eventually they're not gonna have space enough to bring more naimons in doesn't even matter let's say they bring in 30 of them what are they gonna do <laughs> they're stuck just, in a house now <laughs> it, it, there's one point that they teleport into. Like, just fill that bit with concrete. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> okay, here's another interesting thing about the Naimon. There's a relationship between Naimon and... I can't remember what you refer to him as. The the high priest. In my notes, he's just sardines. So th- there's Soldi. a... Soldid. Yeah, sardines, man. So, so there's a they have kind of a relationship of sorts because Soldid, Sardines, whatever he he's the spokesperson. He talks to the Naimon. Yeah. But he talks to him like he's like his pet's bull. It's like, hey Naimon, it's me, Sardines. Like, don't kill me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd forgotten he does that. At the Isn't start. that super weird? He might be the only thing this serial I kind of liked, and I feel like I don't even like him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with he's, you though. I, I I did enjoy him. He's ridiculously over the top. Yeah, but he's a good over-the-top. He's a good hammy. That's it, isn't it? I, I couldn't quite really work out why I liked it, because it's so obviously over-the-top. <laughs> but I guess maybe that's the point. <laughs> I think so, yeah. But that's an odd relationship that they have. So he's the high priest slash the diplomat slash the, the dude who riles up the troops slash Ooh. the engineer. Like He's the only one with a modicum of technological savvy on this planet. Which seems he- strange, because they're like on a massive building. Clearly they have engineers and architects and stuff. Yeah, this is one of the few serials where we get a bigger hint of there being more to this society. Like, it's literally just that couple of scenes where there's that room of cronies. Yeah. Um, But we, yeah, we we probably get a few more sets than we do in other serials. And yeah, there's a feeling that, yeah, he's in control of stuff, but there are levels of command below him that you know means that then you can build a hierarchy and yeah. Yeah, and they've been around for a long time as well. thousand people, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, because they have like a fleet that maybe once upon a time was really intimidating and since then has just fallen into disrepair. Yeah. Do you want to... How do you feel about that scene where he's talking to the... Not underlings. Like, they're, they're also... They seem pretty high up in the hierarchy, but you're right. Like, they're below him when he's he's riling them up. How do you feel about that scene? Um, Taken just as him talking to his cronies without any kind of bigger context. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really good actually. Oh, okay. I think I enjoyed his his level of hammy but heartfelt dramatic empirical <laughs> <laughs> Squash, squash our neighbors kind of attitude, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with you about his delivery, like his role in that scene, but it, it, it was also a scene that didn't really make sense to me because surely someone in the audience would just go like, hey, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. And like, we're already <laughs> with you. <laughs> If anything, like, stand on a podium and talk to the soldiers. You're talking to, like, maybe 11 of us. We're on your side. Like, there's... <laughs> we never doubted you. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, that that part of it seemed a little odd to me. Mm, no, it's interesting. I think you've made a very interesting point about the number of roles that Soldiv takes, though. Because, as far as I'm aware, this is the ruler of this world. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and there is the sense of empire. I don't know if that is just this world calling itself an empire, or if there are other worlds involved, because obviously they can freely go and capture prisoners from Aneth and offer them as tribute, so... True. Yeah, potentially there are multiple worlds involved here, and that's where the empire comes in. But yeah, he's he's getting his hands dirty going, talking directly with the Naimon, and he's tinkering around with technology in a lab, and I don't know, it's just... Yeah, that, that side of it seemed really interesting to me as well he has this weird little workshop of knickknacks like various technological trinkets none of which he understands but he yeah. he's the only one who gets to you know just finagle and, and tinker yeah definitely because I, I i think that kind of bit of that character hamminess aside could have been really interesting if they if they kind of played that up a bit more and like he was just if, if he maybe they dialed up the genius aspect of his character perhaps yes he could have a really worthy villain Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. I, I, I think uh, it strike the perhaps. I think you nailed it. I think that's exactly right. I'd but also be curious. With, Sorry. Um, yeah, what we get left with is someone who's kind of I don't know left left being the more 
religious aspect of the character. Yeah. Where like he's worshipping the Naimon. Like he, he wants stuff out of this deal. He's he's not seeing it as a this is really a god. But when he realizes he's been duped and there's multiple Naimons and it's kind of an invasion, like his character just falls apart a bit and we don't get left with a genius masterminding villain. We get left with someone desperate and confused, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, you're right. Actually his his demise is really quite interesting, I find. But I hadn't even thought about this, but you've just highlighted something to me. He, I think, is is completely aware that there is no religious value to the Naimon's presence or the Nemo's. See, I'm going back on myself. Oh, yeah, fine, Naimon's presence. Because he says towards the end, like, he, oh, the Naimon told me that he was the last of his race. Like, he knows that this is a superior intelligence from another planet. Yeah. But he acts... It, when present, sorry, when when his peers are present, he acts more like a priest. It's almost as though he's like, oh, well, my fellow scones, they don't understand technology. I have to frame this as some sort of religious thing. That's where I get my authority from. So I'm I'm the vessel that talks to the Naimon. Like there's 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 almost prayer involved. Whereas when he talks to the Naimon, like he just walks into the Naimon's lab at one point. Yeah. Basically barters for tech. I think that's the fault of this this serial though. That that is quite a clear thing. But at the same time, you get him. As you've already pointed out, walking around the labyrinth, going here, yeah, nine one, nine one, nine one. <laughs> <laughs> Which just doesn't fit with anything. Doesn't fit with if he if he thought it was a god or if he thinks it's a highly incapable alien race that could like like he's he is fearful of it. I think he must have seen the horns being used to kill people, to fire lasers and stuff. Yeah, and what? yeah, for him to be walking around going here, yeah, no man, no man, no man, no man, is just it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think what I'd really like to get to know more is the background of this civilization because at some point there must have been a, a fall. I mean. A, Previously, they were this uh, tyrannical civilization that would spread across space with their very admirable fleet of spaceships. Their, Their spaceships would blot out the sky and yada, yada, yada. But now, I guess the pilots in the in the spaceship that we get to see in the beginning, he knows a bit about the engine and stuff. But but the co-pilot knows nothing about it. He knows absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like everyone else on Skonos also knows nothing about how to use their own technology. Even it's, it, uh, potentially interesting. I, I'm assuming that there's a novelization of this, and maybe it goes into greater depth there. But yeah. Anyway, I I was left wanting more. Is is uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the upshot. As you were saying it, I, I couldn't help but feel, is that actually just a massive underpinning problem with the entire serial? That as is quite often the way with these classic serials, they have a lot of ideas, they do a lot of edits, and they just put a little thread there and then forget, oh yeah, that was meant to be a big thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, but we left we left that little blue thread in there. Um, but, but the rest of the rest of the sheet is now white. I don't know why it's a sheet. I've lost my metaphors. Anyway... <laughs> But, you know, like they, they and as deep... you're weaving this blanket, <laughs> then <laughs> all of a sudden the tablecloth is multicolored. You know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I think more my point is that like it's it's mostly whites, but then you've got these these few ra- random strands that don't quite fit. Like they haven't been turned into a stripe. They're just like anyway. That's a terrible metaphor. My point was to go on to the fact that we have supporting characters that A I didn't give a shit about, B I didn't really yeah. understand who they were, and C by the end of it are given huge importance. And I'm just like, what? Like I'm talking mostly about Seth and originally in my notes, Mr. Puffy Arms. Oh, uh, he's I, Captain Peacock in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely peacocking. Um, Sorak, I think is. Yeah, that's is the guy. Cool. Yeah, the guy whose oh. jacket has flares, and those flares have flares. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, his his headdress is like, there are kind of solid wings as part of the helmet, and then there's actual feathers around the back of it or something. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to know more about I, I was expecting Captain Peacock to have a more prominent role in this serial, and he didn't. Yeah. He shows he's up hot. one, yeah. like, his job over, this is a four episode arc, his entire job, and he gets his own wardrobe, he gets a couple of lines in the beginning, he's clearly in charge of some stuff, like maybe he's a military leader. His his sole job is to pick up K9 off a table and place <laughs> K9 on the floor. Done. <laughs> Captain Peacock, uh, you, you can go back to wardrobe. They're going to want that jacket back. <laughs> no, I'm keeping this jacket. <laughs> I'm, I'm running off set. You can't stop me. <laughs> With these flares, I'm unstoppable. <laughs> Yeah, like he is the the biggest question in in this kind of like right. dangling threads is like because I I was being a bit quick writing notes and I think I rewound a little bit at the end of the very last episode to see something and I think I might have missed the line but I'm pretty certain Doc says he left Sorak in charge is that right Oh I don't know really maybe, maybe I, I maybe but hang on you know what I have it's... the transcript in front of me I don't know man the the last sorry you're right you're right you're right I have oh no it was Scorners will be it's about, it's about uh Sorak giving giving Seth and Tekka a ship that was the bit yes you're but... right exactly which which oh, no, 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 no. doesn't that underline that what you said is correct yeah Romana says it before that what do you think Scorners, Scorners will be Scorners like with Sorak in like charge him. yeah yeah but this dude like he is obviously the number two yeah. because he's the only other person that says anything from <laughs> the Sconodians <laughs> scones please scones sorry the buttered scones um so yeah who else is gonna be left in charge but this is still a race that's been nabbing people from the neighboring planets and offering up as tribute yeah and zero consequences see everyone we have seen in this serial is implicated in that <laughs> you're right <laughs> So yeah, this this if this should be like properly right, then you should have the Naimons and the Scons just kind of destroying each other, and Seth and uh, Tika Masala grab a ship and head back to Ameth and problem solved. Yeah, I mean you could do that, but then this leads to my other big beef about this serial is at the end of this. Yeah, Doc and Tina casually observe all of the Naimons. As far as I'm aware, all of the Naimons blowing up on a planet. Oh yeah, and just oh. Like, uh- hundred yep. percent. There goes the nine one civilization. Oh well. It's like Yeah. Doc, doc what? It's genocide? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not great. But this is also, bear in mind, this is like moments before the doc kind of casually remarks that it was his fault that Theseus was orphaned. <laughs> and he re- he my note for this is, um, Doc was there the first time, so it was his fault that Theseus was orphaned. 
Oh, what a fun memory. Because that's like the jovial note on which we end. Wait, is this the thing about painting the ship white? Yeah, this the, the sails. Okay, so so for as me, in sorry, um, Theseus's sails should have been painted white. Okay, so for me and anyone else that doesn't know, this is what is this Greek mythology? Yeah, this is this is why I mean this is a straight up a sci-fi take on Theseus and the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. You have King King Minotaur. I am by no means an expert in this, by the way. I I had an an audiobook version of this <laughs> this myth when I was a child, when I was like twelve. So. Here's what I remember, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> King Minos builds the labyrinth, plop to hold his monitor in there, yada, 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 whatever. Every now and then, tributes are sent, sacrifices from nearby kingdoms are sent to be fed to the Minotaur. Theseus is one of them. Maybe he even volunteers to go in there. They navigate the the labyrinth, blah, 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 blah. Good guys win. In the end, they jump on a ship and they head back, but they're so incredibly happy that they forget to paint the sails white. And the sign that had been told to Theseus' dad, King Aegeus, as in the Aegean Sea, was if he returns, if a ship returns with black sails, that means Theseus is dead. If it returns with white sails, that means Theseus is alive. And because they forgot to paint the sails white, uh, he assumes his son is gone, and he throws himself off the cliffs, dying. So when Theseus oh. actually comes back home, he's like, oh shit, it's my fault. Like, if I had remembered to do that, my dad would still be alive. Wow. Yeah. And this is the thing that Doc is like, oh, <laughs> could have been worse. I mean, do you remember that one time? <laughs> He's <laughs> a massive yeah. dick. Holy fuck, dude. Like, <laughs> what's... Yeah, the doc's just a callous arsehole through this. On on the note of this is a... Oh, oh and by the way, sorry. So there are... I mean, some of this is mentioned in the trivia as well, but there are lots of parallels to this. I mean, Seth is Theseus, just Thes seth um, mm-hmm. Naimon, Minon, Tor, you know. Aneth is Athens, uh, whatever else we have here. But then in the lab... Oh, sorry. And there's like... I want to say it's called Jasonite. The stone, yes, the kind of... Jasonite. For fuck's sake. Really? Yes. Jasonite? It, no. But then one thing that I genuinely expected was going to happen in this serial, and which does not happen, and it seems a missed opportunity, is that in the original myth, the way that they find their way through the labyrinth is they have a string, and they tie that string, and then to get back out of the labyrinth, they just trace <laughs> back the or the thread. They trace back the thread. And I was 100% sure we were going to see the the threading of Doc's scarf. Uh, nope. Okay, let's talk about the labyrinth a bit. Because let's do that. I, I'm not sure if I like... I think at the start of it, I really liked the idea, and the way they did the first scene of seeing the labyrinth we had Romana and the jumpsuit gang wandering <laughs> in, but the co-pilot was already in there. Oh yeah, I, think I remember this. Crap. And he was being a bit sneaky, and I don't know what he was going to do to them, but like he was basically hiding from them and then following them. Yep. And then it's through these these camera shots of them being followed and him being sneaky that you see the corridors changing. Yes, exactly. Um, and I I thought that was awesome, like the way they did that of like things just shifting. Like they'd done a, it looked like they had a living set. Like yeah, um, I agree. It's, it's a feat like of editing. Stuff. Yeah, it, it could well have been the edit, but it was it was a good enough edit that I thought it was a single take. You know, which, which, yeah, yeah, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're absolutely right, actually. They, they, they must have had, like, movable walls where the camera just pans to the side, and when it pans back,
back, it's one continuous shot. All of a sudden, there's a wall where previously there was a passage. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very nicely done. I agree. Not that tricky, I imagine. But yeah, they, I felt like they did it well. But then, yeah, when it comes to it fitting in the story, it just, I think it just more and more just bugged me. It's like, this isn't a maze. This isn't something you can fathom out. This is just random shit. Like, this, it's yeah. never presented as a way that you could work out how this thing behaves. Like, no one is ever, like, kind of going, oh, okay, so if I turn down here and then backtrack and then go right this time, it's going to shift and I go, like, there's, there's no one ever plotting a way through this. Well, Sardines seems to know his way through this um, this compound, this complex. I mean, he just goes yeah. in, uh, finds the lab and pops back out through that really cool blue screen thingy. But it's never explained how, which I think is a real failing when you've, like, everyone understands what a maze is. <laughs> And you've tried to make it something beyond that, but then you don't follow that through. Again, it's like they haven't followed through with it to say, well, yeah, agreed. how does someone navigate this thing? And it's just like, ah. And yeah. because it was such a prominent feature in the serial, it was just like every time people went into it and things changed and it was just like, yeah, okay, we get that you made a nice set. We get that you're trying something a bit different, <laughs> but what the fuck is this? <laughs> Come on, give us some actual weight to it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I took the maze, well, not the maze, whatever, this complex, which is inside that, it's inside the building with horns, right? I took that to be a spaceship. And you wouldn't want your, like, well, I guess maybe maybe the spaceship could just have very complex architecture, you know, interior design, and therefore it's maze-like to, to scones, but... Oh, whatever I, I'm, I'm with you on this one it's like it's plucking a couple of elements from the myth but then not fleshing them out when yeah placing them within this sci-fi context because i i feel like as well there was a, a reference to the fact that soul deed built this complex really and i very miss her seem clever enough to do that but someone i'm sure someone was saying like he did a load of stuff like they were kind of like backing up soul deeding like yeah he's he's awesome um, so maybe I, who retains the knowledge that once was had by his civilization. Yeah, possibly. Halfway related. The very first glimpse of this serial made me think, aha, Jim's going to like this one. Because the first shot is we're in space. We get to see that funky yeah. spaceship that looks like two Enterprises 69ing. And, <laughs> and how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the space and the spaceship and the just the sci-fi-ness of this? I think I kind of the start. I yeah, the, the setup with it being like a slightly decrepit spaceship. They were like moaning about the state of things. That was kind of interesting, and the set kind of worked. It looked a little bit labored. Yeah, I mean, it looked it look like old. it looked like a pirate radio station on the sadder side of the Iron Curtain. Like it was <laughs> not in good shape. Yeah. But they had fantastic pyrotechnics in there. I was really impressed by the effects inside the spaceship. When it explodes, you mean? Yeah, they, they've got the pyrotechnics inside the cockpit. They've, they've also, aside from pyrotechnics, they've got those cool doors that swish from side to side. Like There's a shot of like three or four doors in a corridor all closing. Very nicely done. Yeah, that was gorgeous. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff was really cool. I think it was... I don't know how early on, but it was fairly early on that I really took a disliking to the co-pilot. I think <laughs> I guess you're meant to. Is it, is it because he's he's like a petulant child in the cockpit, and then what is it he calls the prisoners like scum? Calling it scum, yeah. <laughs> Which made me think of Star Wars, of course. Like you rebel scum. <laughs> Like, scum doesn't come up that often in films and TV, I feel like. So, you know, maybe an intentional reference. 
I just like for no reason either. Say, like, I'm just gonna go check on the cargo. Goes down the corridor, opens the door. Scum closes the door. <laughs> goes back. <laughs> I had some extra phlegm in my throat. I just had to get it. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Yeah, but he. I mean, he's kind of not even C-list villain, like D-list. Yeah, villain. exactly. Like, he was pretty pathetic throughout the whole thing. Why are there um, only two scones on this ship? A pilot who's like an old timer and. This dude. And oh wait, hang on, I've got a more important question for you. Why does the co-pilot not know that this is the very last mission? Like, that seems like a pretty big thing to to be on. True, that's, that's a fair point. But also knowing, oh right, I don't have to come in tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and his poor <laughs> pilot body is like, oh, it's my, my last job before retirement. Uh, all I gotta <laughs> do is bring these tributes back to scones. <laughs> Yeah, the the whole kind of opening stuff, set, I feel like set a very different tone than the rest of the serial. Yeah. Um, like with Doc, Doc's ripping apart the TARDIS, there is this decrepit spaceship with a lot of characters I didn't really understand at the time. And then somehow there's a black hole involved and these things, these two spaceships, like the TARDIS and the spaceship, crash together. But they don't crash together. They just... Yeah, exactly. It's like, very, it has it's such a tremendous. <laughs> it's, like, it, it, it's powered by a black hole, which seems like, whoa, that's some serious tech. You should probably have someone who maybe knows a little bit about engineering on board. And then it has such a, gr- a tremendous gravitational pull that it attracts everything from the TARDIS to a nearby planetoid. But, <laughs> but the TARDIS then just like stops 200 meters short of the outer hull. Like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, they they close that difference that uh, distance very quickly once they set up their little space walkway. I love that, by like, the way. Yeah, I love that too. Extruding uh, the the door or whatever it is, he says. That's uh, very nice. Like using the TARDIS uh, defense shields, yeah, to make a little tunnel in space. Yeah, that was cool. But yeah, they're they're super close to it. Like they're max ten meters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. That's how close they came to like crashing and yeah. I didn't understand that at all. Yeah, no right. But it is nice. I, and I didn't question it either actually whilst watching it. As we're kind of progressing through this, we haven't really talked about Seth or Tikka Masala. Yeah. Uh, Tikka? It's either Tikka or Masala. She's Tikka Masala in my notes. <laughs> it's definitely Tekka. Oh there you go. Oh Tekka, sorry. I don't know how you said. Um, it's written T E K A. Okay. Because yeah, I did not give a shit about either of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> like every time they appeared on screen, I, I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is, like, I don't know if you recognised her. No. But so she's played by Jana Ellis who is Sophie Ellis Bexter's mother, if you know the musician Sophie Ellis Bexter. I don't. She, Janet Ellis herself is probably most known to people for being a Blue Peter presenter. Oh, right. Very early. Yeah. So this was kind of, like, and this is about the time when she was starting to be, I think she did a different kids TV show before Blue Peter. But like, this is basically the very start of her career, I think. And yeah, so I had no idea that she appeared on an episode of Doctor Who. And I was like, ah, it's Janet Ellis. Hello. That's so cool. Um, oh, you're really bad at acting. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy that you spend all your scenes with, he's pretty bad at acting as well. I thought Damn he it. was much worse. She was fine, I thought, but he was he was pretty dreadful. Yeah. The guy who played Seth was also like the quintessential 1970s teenager in that he looked completely middle-aged. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. What were you going to say? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry they, about that. They were just awful. <laughs> not very then, interesting. 
And so he's lied about his backstory to her, but then we never get a conclusion to that arc. Like, what's going to happen? They're going to come back to Aneth, and she's going to presumably find out that he lied to her. And Or are they now going to be together forever, and he's just going to be forced to, to live a lie to perpetuate this so that he doesn't lose her trust? And then, consequently, does she unknowingly live a lie? Like, it, this could be terribly devastating to both of them. Yeah, I can't remember... Because the ending, Doc and Lena, uh, I've done it now, Doc and Romana, <laughs> <laughs> they're joking about, like, Seth's got to live up to his reputation now because Taker's going to, like, feed in the fact that he, he did actually help save the day a bit into yeah, this ish. <laughs> existing mythology she had in her head. Like, I mean, she just fantasies him. It's blatantly obvious. Yeah, like, absolutely. He, he fed her some lies and she's like, oh my God, you're so wonderful, Seth. Ooh. Yeah, because she likes older <laughs> guys. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you could tell that this was meant to be important. Like, these, these are, there aren't that many characters in this serial with speaking roles. They appear very early on. They randomly appear at points throughout the entire serial. You yeah. know that they're important. But you don't care, and their payoff is just off-screen, vaguely hinted at that. Well, that they've got their own ship now. They're going to go back to Aneth. The fact that what, they are revolution. I don't. Know. Yeah, maybe not start a revolution, but certainly put an end to the tributes. I mean, they, well, this serial has put an end to the tributes, I guess. But yeah. I mean, the fact that they depart on a spaceship that looks like two Enterprises 69ing, I think, is a metaphor for what's to ensue. Like, those two. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to go back to Aneth, which I'm assuming is like ancient Athens. And they're going to be like, guys, we just we found a new position. <laughs> like, <laughs> if we've got if we've learned anything from this whole adventure. <laughs> Yes, I know you've been painting it on amphoras for hundreds of years already. I, I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I do all my reading on Tapestry Call. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the reading. That, that's the one format that, you know, I'm, I'm not on board with ebooks. I, I, I will never get a Kindle. And I'm, I'm kind of okay with audiobooks. I, I quite like audiobooks. But what I really want is to be able to read a book off an urn. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> what, so if it's really, really bad, you can just smash it at the end of it? <laughs> <laughs> and if it's good, you plant something in it. Or you serve wine from it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so what are you reading at the moment? Oh, oh here's this. wine from it. <laughs> <laughs> In the beginning, we get to see the TARDIS as well. Sorry, jumping back to the beginning here. Uh, we get to see the TARDIS, and the TARDIS seems different to me. I didn't find anything about this in the trivia, so maybe I'm just misremembering, but I I've made a note at the start of episode one that the console room looks smaller and darker than usual, that the roundels on the wall look wrong, and that there's an edge between these rounded roundel panels. The, the roundel panels are basically just painted on, it seems. They're not even three-dimensional, I think. And there's an edge between two of the panels that looks like it looks like a Greek column. And I don't know if that's meant to be thematic yeah. with the with the serial, but it seemed like a, it seemed like a different console room set to me. Interesting. I, I guess it's conceivable they did shift stuff around because they they wanted to show Doc's ripped up bits of the console, that's and maybe true. there are only bits of the console that can be maneuvered to show that they didn't they didn't want to actually wreck it. I don't know. Yeah, true. Or and they, they didn't want it to look terrible. So it's just like, oh, throw some wires on top of this otherwise untouched console panel. 
I don't know. Because it, it kind of it did look like Doc has taken the TARDIS apart. Yeah, that is I true. I feel like actually. they did a reasonable job to make it feel that way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you've you've won me over. But, but then if you haven't found trivia about it, it means it's probably just the uh, in your own little tiny mind. That's true. It is tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've got another note from the start of part one. Romana has built her own Sonic. Yes, to the point where Doc actually wants to nick it. Yeah. After he accidentally gives, gives her his back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think I saw this yeah. in the trivia that it's, I mean, it, it will presumably return, but I think I read in the trivia that it's meant to be a better Sonic than his. Okay. Now I think about it, though. Is it not quite weird that they introduce it in this serial, and as far as I recall, she never uses it on screen? Uh, she uses it once to open a door, and then... Oh, does she? Incredibly annoyingly, she just, she, she just like, blatantly leaves it on the cockpit panel, on, like, the... Uh, one yes. of the one of the consoles, and then just leaves the room. And, like, two minutes later, she goes, oh, damn it, I... Must have left my Sonic and say, like, yeah, I know. Everyone in 1979 was shouting at the television sets. It was so <laughs> obvious. It Wait, takes I said when get used to these things. Sorry, like when it takes a while to get used to these things. When you change your routine, like uh, maybe you used to keep your keys in a bowl, now it's on a hook or something. Like you, you have to adjust to to know. Oh right, I should always grab the keys before I leave. Oh, that's or, true. Or you leave them in your pocket, and uh, you know you you got to make sure you take them out before you put your trousers in the wash. That is true. But when you have a new <laughs> gizmo, like a a new, t- this is like. You have a new smartphone. Having a Sonic is like having a new Android phone or a new iPhone well, or something. Are you going to just leave it places? Smartphone. Sorry? It's like, it's like having your first smartphone. Yeah, like, even... Oh, you may not be having it with you all the time. Oh, that's oh, that's interesting. I guess that, I guess that would apply, sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. By the it, way, it correction. Dumb. I don't know why I'm defending her. <laughs> Uh, in a correct way. Uh, correction, I said uh, 1979 before. Part one is indeed in 1979. But by the end of this serial, we are officially in the 80s. Oh, my goodness. Yes. The 1980s. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Holy <laughs> moly. Yeah. Uh, Captain Peacock, That was <laughs> those were the approaching shoulder pads. It's just like one guy <laughs> was wearing the whole cast's shoulder pads on his arms. Yeah, this this ran from the 22nd of December, 1979. So the episode that we've just been talking about is immediately preceding Christmas. This is effectively the Christmas special. And the final episode aired on the 12th of January, 1980. Wow. How awesome is that? It's super awesome. So awesome, I'm not quite sure how to respond to it. (laughs) I'm totally gobsmacked that we are in the 1980s. Right? Oh, see, BBC, we're coming for you. We're catching up. (laughs) Well, this is nearly the last decade. I forget when it actually stopped because the the film was like 96 or something, but there was a gap between the last series and the film. Yes, that's true. Oh, that's a very, very good point. Oh, Podcast Land is probably sighing at this point because we don't know this. <laughs> so let, let me double check this. I think it is 89. Like we are in the final decade. Holy moly. You're right. Yeah. 6th of December, 1989. Oh, that wow. is, that's wonderful. <laughs> Holy moly. And we only have... I've I've lost it now, but I I think we only have one more season of Tom Baker. Yes, that's right. Yeah, one more season. I mean, next up is Sharda, by the way. It's super excited. Uh, And after that, one more season, seven episodes in season 18, and then no more Tom Baker. Oh, 
Yeah. I mean, I say no more Tom Baker. We might get a multi-doctor adventure further down the line. Cool. Yeah. Like I, we, we are massive tangent away from the, this this episode. We come back shortly, but I, I feel like I will be sad to see him go. Me too. But I'm very much looking forward to getting into the 80s. Um, um, oh, same here. <laughs> the cheesiness he, of it. A, <laughs> and they're also tantalizingly close to like what I grew up with. I only really remember Sylvester McCoy, but I was alive for more than just him. Oh, well, I, I look forward to retroactively exploring your childhood through these reviews. <laughs> anyway, back to the horns of Nyman. Oh, I mean, we should get back to it, shouldn't we? Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, where would you like to? Uh, where would you like to pick up? Um. So we were we were kind of pacing through episode one and two a bit, which I, we don't have to carry on doing. But there is the ending of episode one, the start of episode two, which I don't know if is just utter utter shite or if it's just something that I didn't particularly <laughs> enjoy. Just fell a bit flat. But this this is Doc getting stuck in the TARDIS. The black hole thing has released itself a bit. The 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 ship has gone on its way, and the TARDIS is now stuck. And there's a planet or planet-sized asteroid that's about to collide with the TARDIS. This is the cliffhanger for episode one. Yep. And Doc's way of escaping this is spinning the TARDIS. <laughs> and I, I think he's already referenced that the idea is like a cricket ball, and then the TARDIS literally just goes. Fuck. <laughs> And gets knocked out of the way rather than being crushed to death. Yeah, I mean, that makes no sense uh, whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe one of the... I'm assuming this is going to feature in Drew's audio mini review uh, that there's there's a cricket reference in here. He says, with a talent like mine, I might have been a great slow bowler. And the next doctor in line, Davison, is uh, super into cricket, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. given his outfit, and that's one of my very, very few memories of him as a doctor from when I was a kid. I think I probably only saw one serial with him. I couldn't even tell you which one. But what I remember is this montage of him just playing cricket, just bowling and bowling and bowling and bowling and bowling and bowling and bowling, and, bowling and people around just going like, oh, again. It's like it's the equivalent <laughs> of the scene where Matt Smith plays football when he's um, what's it called, the lodger? Oh, yeah, in the lodge. lodger. You know, when he plays football and just scores like a good jillion goals is the equivalent of that but with cricket and i wonder if this maybe it's only now in hindsight that it can be considered kind of a reference forward in time to the next iteration of the doctor but i i like that that parallel is there it's just that the astrophysics are bollocks. <laughs> yep definitely bollocks. i think yeah i think i would be prepared to say there has to be a connection to the next doctor because this isn't just doc thinking oh i could be a cricket bowler i'm sure this is phrased like doc is almost thinking his life has been wasted and he absolutely <laughs> should have been a cricket bowler <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> enough of this traveling through space and time malarkey yeah. give me a good pitch <laughs> which is just insane like i don't know <laughs> This this serial of all serials to put that in there is just like ugh. oh I liked it the, the it just seemed yeah I mean it, really my bugbear here is just that it seems so dumb that there's not a even not even just a sci-fi solution whereby oh wait hang on if I just connect these two wires or maybe K9 can connect two wires and the TARDIS just slides a little bit to the side and the the planetoid just barely misses them or something like that. But the fact that it it turns into a cartoon, one of yeah. many very Hanna-Barbera-esque elements in this serial, by the way, 
that immediately takes one out of this serial. Uh, I didn't like it. No, likewise. Since we're on cliffhangers, do you want to run through them? I know you have a thing for cliffhangers. We still don't have a jingle for your cliffhanger obsession. <laughs> if I have a moment, I will I will write some lyrics for a cliffhanger jingle, and then we need to do some recording. Cliffhanger, it's the thing that Jim loves to obsess about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that soundbite. I'll do something with it. <laughs> no, we can come up with something now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, part yeah, so, two, cliffhanger. Okay, uh, yeah. I was going to recap part one, it. but we don't need, don't need to. It's fine. Doc is going to get smacked in the face. Yeah. He doesn't. Um, part two. Ooh, Naimon can bend. <laughs> <laughs> First time we see the Naimon bend, and it, yeah, aims and shoots the co-pilot. Um, I think it just ends straight on that. I don't think there's a hint of, like, everyone, everyone in the vicinity is obviously under threat, but there's no kind of, like, and the next target is... Right. I, I've written, uh, Naimon murders Chubby McFuck face and is about to poop his pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, cliffhanger uh, number three. Sorry. I just, I'm just seeing how this was resolved, actually. Uh, my first note of episode three is, uh, two minutes of the last episode. Build <laughs> that one for some reason. Um, oh, yeah, Doc comes in and distracts the Naimon with a red rag. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Because he's Cause it's, a bull. It's just cliffhangers, by the way, that I'm obsessed with. It's cliffhangers and their resolution. Because oh, I apologize. A lot of the time, the cliffhanger might be okay, but then they just like hand wave a way out of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, but it is mostly the cliffhanger. No apology needed. Uh, what do we get at the end of episode three then? We get, apparently, old bugger. Uh, Soldeed has shot the machine that would get Romana back and is now about to shoot the dock. Oh my god, he did. Ah, yes. Yeah. I, just, I, I couldn't remember who it was. I just wrote, Doc is about to get murdered by What's-His-Face. Right. <laughs> How is that resolved? So this is resolved by Seth coming to save the day, actually. Seth does something. Yay. Oh, this is the one thing he does? <laughs> I think so. Okay. I think possibly he does some other shooting. I don't know. There's actually a surprising amount of shooting in this. Not that many people dying, because it turns out pretty much everyone shot ends up just being stunned. <laughs> which True. I didn't realize a lot of the time. Well, one of my notes is, um, like, is it okay that Romana has turned into like a laser-wielding maniac? He's just like <laughs> shooting, shooting Naimons left, right, and center. I really liked Romana in this one. I actually do as well. I think she's probably the only decent character in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sardines gets a... He gets a medal of the week, but Romana really... She's super gung-ho. Yeah, as you say, like, laser-wielding badass, but also... Solely because I think for a solid week, Tom Baker must have gone on holiday. Like, there's that one episode where he's just stuck in the TARDIS and he's repairing stuff and it doesn't work and he has to repair it again and it doesn't work. Those scenes were shot in maybe an hour. And that's a whole week, you know. So I think he was just, he was away. And this turned into a Roman episode. Yeah, possibly. Which one is that? So is that episode two? Two, I think. Yeah. The first part of episode yeah, it two, is. He's, he's in the TARDIS stuff, isn't he? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I cut you off. Yeah, quite um, so Seth, yeah, I Seth mean, saves them and whatnot. I, I don't recall the details of, of how he did that, whether I cared, but I wrote a note about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Seth comes on screen, I pretty much just fall asleep. So <laughs> I did well to sit <laughs> <get> down. <laughs> so part four is quite interesting because uh, you're right. So, so Seth stuns uh, Sardines. Eventually, Sardines wakes up in the background. This is while they're, like, they're figuring out how to repair the machinery. Oh, God, that- so terrible. Just <laughs> and literally... Sardines like slinks out to <laughs> the background. Yeah, but he probably like trod on one of their feet, like getting up because they're <laughs> that close to him. <laughs> <laughs> but then he also he doesn't he laugh maniacally like a Scooby Doo villain yeah. on his way out. It's like, 
Well, <laughs> Seth is, he can't be a day over 48. Like, Seth can easily catch up with this guy. <laughs> Yeah. But also, so in part four, we we get to see um, uh, Romana on uh, planet Krinoth. Krinoth was that what it's called? I think, I think, yeah, that's what we said earlier. Right, yes. yeah, Krinoth. Yeah, that's what I've written here as well. So Romana, she's beamed over to Krinoth. What's left of it? We get to see the aftermath that that awaits Skonos. She yeah. gets to meet a dude. I never wrote down, like, I never made a note of his name. He's Linard Skinnard in my notes. So I'm assuming his name is somehow similar to that. I actually don't know what his name is either. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Season season. <laughs> what? That is nothing <laughs> like Leonard Skinner. <laughs> that's, that's about the only person left in the cast, I think. <laughs> okay. Oh, maybe that's it then. I don't know why I thought it was Leonard Skinner. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be, have been surprised if it was like Leonard. Let's say that. But like, all right, fine. So Leonard Skinner. I've written down Leonard Skinner is the sardines of Krinoth because he has the same stuff. Yeah. He has the same role. He was also the spokesperson. He's the guy who let the Nymons onto Krinoth. Um, he believed the exact same bullshit lie. Like the, the Nymons have not upgraded their strategy for ever. I thought it was, in in hindsight, slightly too on the nose because I I wrote the same thing down. Like Romana gets saved by a soul deed alike. Like <laughs> yes, it exactly. was so obvious. Like just from his outfit and the stuff that this was Soldeed Mark 1 and Soldeed actually is Soldeed Mark 2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is Sardine's this is Prime. Exactly. And then they have to still give you the exposition. So Romana has to talk to uh, Soldeed Mark 1 and they have to establish that he's been on Krinov and this has happened. But actually... The costume department took the, the directions to the nose that they've already established all of this, like him in the first opening shot of this character. And it's just like, actually, the rest of this is just like double underlining it. And it's just, okay, no, I think uh, I think you made that a bit too close to, to Soldi's costume. Like, give him a hat or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> give him trousers, not a big cape and dress, you know. <laughs> I also didn't understand why he couldn't go back. He's shot by one of the Nymons, but it doesn't seem like it's too late for him to leave. He's there, he's like three meters away from the T-Mat, from the the ping pong ball that can beam them back to Skonos. He's like, no, leave me behind, it's too late for me. He's like, it really isn't, buddy. Like, y- you are right there. Like, just, w- we'll okay. heal you when you get to Skonos. And then he could show his staff to sardines and go look they gave me one of these as well i'm telling you the truth and then maybe that could have been the resolution maybe sardines could have had some sort of epiphany towards the end whereby he now needs to have his civilization make amends for everything they've done but no we don't get that and leonard skinner just bloody dies yeah that's a waste of leonard's and skinner's and i think it's kind of a waste of this side storyline because i think you're right actually to emphasize that this is the point of saying this is to see what's to come to see the, yeah. the real effect that Imons are going to have on a planet but we don't really see it we see a sci-fi setup of corridors and uh, a slight gangway to go to the, the egg capsule launch pad like we don't see a planet that's been like devastated we don't see rows of bodies do we i can't, I can't remember oh, maybe there is a storage room actually on this bit but you know there's, there's not the the real feeling that this there's planet... something resembling ru- ruins i think is that maybe maybe I blinked and missed? What maybe, really but talking. but that could also just be like one collapsed room. That's not like oh, the whole planet is on fire. Yeah, I mean, I know this is 
1979 slash 1980, we can't expect what New Who would do, which would have a, a CGI kind of panning shot of the planet's surface, probably, or, you know... Yeah, exactly. Like, ruins and, you know... Giant broken statues and, <laughs> yeah. But it seemed, seemed they were more interested in showing there are more Nymons, perhaps, than this entire other civilization yeah. was white. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think you're right. A, a more interesting way of framing this episode would have been to not send Romana there, or at the very least not send her there alone. Instead, send maybe Captain Peacock. Maybe this could have been Captain Peacock's job. Send uh, him there. Uh, so if Captain Peacock goes, maybe he goes to catch Romana because he's still on the Naimon side but then when he gets there he then is swayed to join Romana and then the two of them need to escape together and then he sways Sardines or at least attempts to that's an awesome yeah. retro rewrite and that boom that gives that character an some arc. kind of justification from being left to control of everything at the end exactly it's had some kind of redemption yes now I trust this character to lead a civilization yeah, exactly I mean they've also done away with democracy and Entirely. It's just they, uh, who's in charge? Oh, the guy in the funkiest jacket. It's not like uh, <laughs> uh, sardines is dead, so I left them with all the tools to establish democracy, and they're now going to elect a new ruler. It's like it's not even that. No, it's basically, um, well, you look like a good chap, I'll leave you in charge. Uh, yeah. just you're not going to go and capture any of the people from the other planet again, are you? You were in that no. one scene where you, <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. I'm reformed. <laughs> <laughs> you were in that one scene where you put K9 on the floor. K9 rolled out through the door and then turned around and as the door was closing, K9, if he had had fingers, would have flipped you the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand why he turned around like that. <laughs> that's just such a baller move. It's like he turns around to go like, if I wanted to, if I wanted to, Peacock, <laughs> I could have lasered your balls. <laughs> I actually thought he was going to shoot him. And then <laughs> the door shut. And I thought, oh, maybe it's that they, they forgot to do an effect of K9, like, shooting the door or programming the door so it was shut for good. Or I don't know. It was just so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think the unwritten line or the unspoken line of K9's there is like, you stay here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the master. Yeah. Stay. <laughs> don't you. Do yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay, stay, <laughs> like putting out little bone-shaped biscuits on Captain Peacock's nose. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I made a note of different music in this episode, particularly in part four, but I haven't made any notes of of the timestamp, so I can't really, with any ease, find sound bites for this. But I made a note, for example, that there's Scooby-Doo-like Glockenspiel playing in part four. And what else is there? Oh, no, this is music. A, a Hanna-Barbera sound effect in part two. It's like a dunk dunk. That's my best rendition of it. Is this the thing I wrote down as a twang? Oh, maybe that is it. Or was that, or was that a different one? A repair the tightness? Yes, I think so. But it sounds like maybe there's like a spring breaking or something. But maybe it is a yeah. patang more than a dunk ding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But some kind of, yeah, comedy spring sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, did not approve. Nope. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, I kind of want to skip to the end of it. The way they get out of this is just utter garbage. <laughs> So we just talked about, so I think it is Sazam, the, the sole deed of, of Krinoff. Oh, right, yeah. Sorry, Leonard Skinner's got you. Whether, 
yeah, Leonard Skinner, whether whether he could have made it to the capsule or not, like he's made a decision to sacrifice himself effectively to defend Romana's escape. We've just had that great, like that that was a, a worthy scene, if not questionable whether he needed to die. But then everything is coming together where the nine ones are basically kind of get desperate and start attacking everyone, and Doc's still trying to like send them back and stop more from coming over and, and stuff. But we get a scene where there's a Naimon literally chasing Romana around the room. Like these are creatures that can shoot some kind of laser beam out of their yes, horns that's anyway. True. So chase, chasing in general is utter garbage. Yep. But it clomping around, Romana isn't running that quickly. I think Seth enters the room during this point. She managed to throw the Jasonite to Seth, tell him what to do with said Jasonite, and Seth manages to shoot the Naimon before the Naimon can get anywhere near Romana. And yep. it's just <laughs> this is a this is a Hannah Barbera thing as well. It's just ugh, utter utter garbage. And then <laughs> Yeah, another Naimon comes in and it's like, oh no, another Naimon, which, I don't know, the threat has just been neutralized. Who gives a shit about the Naimon? You can just run around in circles. And Seth's now got a thing that can shoot them anyway. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, another appears and K9 shoots it. It's like, oh great, okay, whatever. Yeah, then we have just them navigating this labyrinth thing which no one knows understands cares about the revelation that K9 is saying this is the exit but we're presented with a visual of no there's just a wall there everyone thinks there's just a wall there and Doc is being really stupid about the fact that K9 is saying this is the exit it's like you've seen this thing shift around <laughs> you yeah, know also how... you're you're the doctor surely this shouldn't be too unfathomable to you exactly and then and then after all of that our payoff is this planet is being left with this guy who's been uh, implicated in all the kidnapping and murder of various people from other planets and these two random boring ass jumpsuit wearers are going to go back to their old planet with a spaceship. <laughs> that it and then we get a crappy joke about there being plenty of Manelia left in the old girl and Romana thinks it's Oh her. I forgot about that joke yeah. Like, this is this is the entire like 10 minute ending of this serial <laughs> and it's all just utter utter shite. <laughs> yeah Romana <laughs> Here's the punchline to the joke. Turns to the camera. The screen should at that point like black out to a circle on her face. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Looney Tunes style. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the only good note I have, like in the the last half of episode four, is Romana being impassioned to Soldeed, like trying to convince him that the Nymons are invaders, are parasitic. You know, obviously there's more than one of them. It's not just what he's been talking to. There's, there's a, a real threat to him, if not giving a shit about other stuff. But I, I loved that speech. I thought um, Lana Ward was very good in that scene. That's that about the only thing. <laughs> it is a powerful scene. She's really good in it. Sardine's end is also actually pretty interesting. I don't know if it's executed very well, but it's very interesting just conceptually because he basically is happy to resign to the idea that his entire species is going to be eradicated because he would rather do that than collaborate with someone who has proven him wrong and is trying to save his people. Like, doesn't he turn yeah, on yes. the um, uh, the reactor thing? He, he flips a switch or something like, oh, no, now we're all going to die. Like, yeah, now oh. turns the comp to a bomb. I don't know what he did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if in doubt, flip switch to start time with a bomb. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I think you'll find that every power plant in the Hooniverse has one of these switches. It has three oh. modes. Power plant, black hole, bomb. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, handy in all situations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By all, you mean those three situations. <laughs> 
They cover no, yeah, those three cities. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do have something positive to say. Wait, hang on. Wait, wait, to be fair, we have said a lot of positive stuff about this serial as well. We've, we've said, yeah, yeah. But I do have something else that's positive to point out. Not not from part four, but from part two. There are two two bits of production value that I thought were really impressive. One is a fantastic effect of the old tribute turning to dust when someone touches it. Oh, yeah. That was gorgeous. That's a beautiful effect. I wonder how they did it. And I'm so assuming that it is now just reduced to a pile of cocaine. (laughs) And the second thing from part two that's production value related is the suspended animation set. I thought that was very nice. I think we've done something similar. We've had something similar. In fact, it looks very much like the one in... uh, What's the one? uh, Insects in Space? The one with the Wirren. Yes, exactly. Did they have something like that? Was that Ark in Space? I'm going to find it. Holy shit, you're 100% right. The Ark in Space. I'm so sorry I doubted you. I wonder uh, if we, they we, have reused that prop. I'm going to send you a link. Check out the images there. Uh, Podcast Land, I've just sent a link right. to uh, the Ark in Space on whoback1.com. And by the way, listen to our review of that, because that was a fun review, as I recall. It's a fun episode, as far as I recall. Oh, like cereal. Yeah, definitely. See the picture I'm thinking of? Oh, I've just seen... Well, I've seen a picture of a character in there, which is reminding me about some trivia we have. No, they, they are definitely the same. Mint condition human packaging. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so what's this trivia that you want to talk about? Well, you remember Mr. Harry Sullivan? Yeah. And I believe you made the the point at the time that the reason his character existed was because they thought they were going to have an older actor playing the Doctor and Harry Sullivan would be doing the action-y things. Yes, exactly. Do you know who that actor was going to be? No. What? Who? That actor was going to be Graham Crowden, a.k.a. Soul Deed. What? Sardines was nearly the doctor. I need to look up this guy yeah. right now. Holy moly, what? According to Wikipedia, he was offered the role at the fourth doctor and he turned it down. He didn't want to be tied down to something for three years, I think. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> have you looked him up on IMDb? I, I wonder if he had a... I, I mean, I'm hoping that he had an illustrious career, but can you imagine Sardines as the doctor if it's this level of OTT acting? It would have been incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Romana, we can use the Sonic! Like every scene would be like that. If you just Google Horns of Nymon Soul Deeds, there is not a single picture of him in which he looks normal. Like every single still of him, he is pulling a face, including one where he is literally pulling his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's such an interesting idea, though, that you turn down the role. I know. Why would you do that at this point as well? I mean, in the in the seventies, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I guess maybe it was it was kind of like it. Well, it might be peak Doctor Who, but it's peak his career, and he wanted to try lots of different things. Who knows? But yeah, that's what could have been, and that's the reason that Harry Sullivan existed. Very interesting. That's that is some pre-mo trivia. Thank you very much. I have a newfound respect weird, for though. sardines now. Yeah, I can't imagine. I haven't looked into the ages. I can't imagine he was much older than John Pertwee, <laughs> but maybe maybe it was enough to make a difference. Yeah, he'll have been or in. Maybe, well, he'll have been in his fifties. I. I I've already closed the tab, but I think he was born in 22 or 23. Yeah, maybe he was like an old 50 and Pertwee was a young 40-something. Yeah, I mean, Seth is a 48-year-old teenager, so so, uh, Sardines, when he was in his 50s, was like (laughs) mid-70 by, you know... Early BBC standards. Yeah, fits. <laughs> I've got some other trivia for you, by the way. Oh, cool. You, you may have found this Go as ahead. well. 
this is the final script to be edited by Douglas Adams. Oh, uh, okay. It felt, by the way, the co-pilot's scum going back and forth and just calling them scum. That felt a little Douglas Adamsy to me. This is the final time that we get to see this scarf and this coat from the next time on. I, I guess Sharda is probably the exception that uh, sort of disproves the rule because, I mean, we will obviously take a look at Sharda as well, but the next one that airs, which is whatever it's called, I can't remember now, uh, Leisure Hive, I think? He is wearing the, his red outfit. So it's a new scarf, new hat, new coat, new everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Freshening things up a bit. Yeah, that's true. Last time that we get to hear David Briley as K-9. Ah. Is, is this going to be the last time we see K-9 then for a while? Oh, I don't know. I we'll don't know. See, I, I, I feel like K-9, should, he deserves a farewell. He definitely deserves a goodbye. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, that Sharda didn't come to be. So this this is kind of the end of the series, but not the end of the series. It's missing missing the usual kind of Pomp and extra, circumstance. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, oh, hang on, wait. More finals. More finals, more finals. Final Ooh, time okay. that we get to hear this version of the opening theme. There's going to be a different opening theme the next time. And Ooh. also, in the credits, sequence, it's the last time that we get to see the diamond logo of Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. Shake everything up. Yeah. Like it, I, maybe I'll just reel off some, some random things yeah, very, let's hear very quickly. Doc tries to give CPR to K9. <gasps> I forgot about that, yeah. Tom Maker actually does a line fluff that I spotted at least. <laughs> I think I know that one. There's a nice quote from the Doc. Why don't you give me the gun so I can keep an eye on myself and make sure I don't get out of any funny business. <laughs> we have, yeah, I rewound to check if Doc slash Tom Baker really did smack Pekka slash Janet Ellis on the bum, and he did. <laughs> Wait, I missed this. When? What? There's a horrible, again, kind of Hanna-Barbera moment of them hiding from the nine one about to come into like a control room. Yeah. And she's picked a terrible hiding spot, like the angle that the nine one is coming in from. She's basically stood in front of it. And so, yeah. Yeah, the doctor comes in and just smacks on the bum to say, no, go somewhere else. What? Which is pretty <laughs> terrible. I missed that. And then right after that, we have a, a, quite a long scene of the 9-1 walking around and everyone's hiding behind like a, a pillar of consoles and then just peeking around <laughs> from time to time in uh, horrible, not comedy fashion. Yeah, straight up <laughs> Vord hiding. <laughs> And a couple of just what-the-fuck moments of I don't know if they were intending something that I missed or whatever. But Doc puts stars in the labyrinth when he first enters it. Yes, yeah. Which, like you you referenced, you thought the scarf would be the string to find your way through the labyrinth. I thought as soon as he put these stars down, it's like, oh, that's how he's going to find his way. Great. That's good thinking, Doc. Yeah. Then they immediately disappear. And I don't know if it was just them trying to establish, ah, we're not doing a labyrinth. We're doing something else. I think you're right. <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. It's like, ah, the feeble-minded among you expected there to be a scarf subplot, eh? No, <laughs> not so fast, buddy. The BBC is one yeah, step I, ahead of you. I thought that was just a bit crap and weird. But the thing I really have a what-the-fuck moment about was Romana is off inspecting the capsule that they've just discovered. Like, they've, they've come to, like, the Nymon control room, and there's the capsule over there that's just delivered a couple of Nymons, and she's looking at it, Doc's going, oh, I'm going to have to make it go back and like jam the system so they can't send any more people over and without looking at what Romana's doing just sends the capsule back and she's in it and it's like what the fuck like how did how did Doc not realise Romana was in the capsule or how did Romana not realise Doc was sending the capsule back and so she shouldn't be in the capsule I was just like I'm glad that you said that because I assumed that this was just part of episode 3 where I was just completely distracted by Google or Twitter or whatever it was I was doing at the time (laughs) 
because I was not particularly stimulated by part three. Among my notes, I have written, hang on, where is it? Uh, Romana gets locked in the capsule. Hmm, when did that happen? Like, I <laughs> literally did not even notice. <laughs> Yeah, it's possible I was sleepwalking through that episode as well, and so we just missed something. <laughs> I've got a couple of random things, like Seth and Taker go through the labyrinth, and they've been through it once already. They know things change. Seth wanders off and goes, you wait here. It's like, no, you twat. Like, <laughs> as soon as you walk around the corner, the walls are going to change, and you can't go back to her. Yeah, and stay, yeah, stick together. exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, if I couldn't hate you two more, well done. <laughs> <laughs> And it makes me not even want to say the, the minor plus point of a note shortly afterwards. The Sonic is actually used like a screwdriver, which I thought you you might appreciate at least. Yeah, I mean, we do get a, a bit of other Sonic in here as well. I, I mean, maybe more so from Romana. Maybe I'm misremembering now. I have written down that there's a lot of Sonicking in this serial, but I can't now <laughs> put my finger on what it was. I think it's probably fair to say that, actually. Yeah, because we don't get a lot of Sonic use in these serials, certainly not of late anyway, it's been pretty rare. And this this probably has a Sonic being used in every single episode. I think so too, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was a lot of random brain dumps from Jim. I like it. Nice. And now, it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings. Well, well, well. I'm going to go first with these little mini reviews here from the two of us. And, well, you might have already guessed, I didn't think a lot about this. <laughs> Probably one of the worst serials we've watched. For oh a while, wow! Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe my rating won't quite reflect that, but it it committed the cardinal sin of being boring. Like you can let things slide if maybe you just don't enjoy the content a, li- a little bit or something. Maybe the acting's a bit off. But boring is a really hard thing to just go. Yeah. Okay. I'll forgive them for that. I don't actually quite know the aspects of this that really are boring. I guess maybe what it comes down to is the fact that the Naimon are pretty terrible and not quite terrible enough for me to just enjoy laughing at them. The half the supporting cast, like all of the yellow jumpsuits, are just shit. Like even <laughs> the main two characters of Seth and Taker, like I do not care about them whatsoever. I basically glaze over every time they're on screen talking about stuff. And I think like I just stopped like believing that there was real intention with a lot of the story and, and like the, there was going to be a worthy payoff. And there wasn't. And I, I kind of felt validated in a way that I have been like hating and not, well, at least not enjoying watching this serial. And then the payoff at the end is just so terrible. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was right to not enjoy this serial. <laughs> There are tiny little nitpicks in a way, but just kind of sum up, I feel like, a little bit of why the serial is so bad. Like, there is more than one occasion where the resolution of a tense situation against protagonists and villain, where a laser shot bounces off a tiny object. Like, maybe you can get that in there once. Maybe. Like really really pushing it like you're gonna have to cover that really well and they've did it on multiple occasions like the tiny TARDIS piece that so is is the one MacGuffin that kind of goes through this serial and, and solves various problems like yeah I forgot about that scene. bounces that bounces off the staff that Seth's holding at one point you know I, I was pretty convinced that Seth had been killed I was like no no just knock the laser out, the lance out of his hand or whatever it's like this is just bullshit like you've written a situation you don't know how to get out of and you've done it multiple times and it's just no this is this is what this scene 
serial feels like to me. It feels like people going, ah, let's write about the Minotaur. Let's let's put that in space. Uh, there are multiple Minotaurs. They're invading. Yeah, that sounds cool. It's the sin that a lot of these classic serials seem to seem to have, where they just have too many ideas. They never fleshed them out. So we're left with just tendrils dangling around and, and just feeling unconnected and unfinished. And in the past, it might be, okay, that was kind of interesting. I wish I had more of this. In this serial, it almost felt like that was kind of interesting, but I don't want more of it because it was just not entertaining enough. And yeah, just to come right back around to the beginning, the nine one are terrible. If that's your big gambit to pull this story together is that there's a threatening creature that's going to invade and it's that terrible. No, I'm out. 1.2. 1.2? 1.2? Wow. All right. Wowee. <laughs> that was some real rambling. I had I had some notes, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was just too annoyed of it all. No, I like it. You're you're passionate about this. This is good. <laughs> Okay, you know what? I guess we could have ended the 70s in a worse way. <laughs> it, it, Always possible. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the worst that could have happened, but this was schlock. <laughs> this was very, very hammy schlock. And I, I like schlock. I'm a fan of schlock. But this wasn't the kind of hamminess. We've already said this. I don't want to repeat too much of what we said, but like this wasn't the kind of hamminess that I'm I'm often very fond of in Doctor Who. When we get these sort of endearingly schlocky serials, this was just at times left by the wayside. We do get some semi-memorable characters. Sardines was probably at the top of them. I loved Sardines. Captain Peacock, just a mixed bag of missed opportunities. Tom Baker is awesome, but he's also very sparsely used. I mean, he's he's fun when he's allowed to be the Doctor, but as I said, I, I, I think he just went on holiday. There, there wasn't enough of Tom Baker in this serial. However, that is compensated for with an absolutely fabulous Romana. She gets tons of screen time here, which is a, a huge plus for me. It's just that, unfortunately, she gets to act and gets to, you know, administer her agency and, and genius in a rather poor plot. And the Naimon, of course, and later, the Naimons, they're so super low-budget wank. And I, I want to be clear about this. I usually enjoy hammy low-budget wank, but these reverse centaurs did not do much to persuade me that this belongs at the apex of Doctor Who. I'm sorry, Doc Oho. I'm sorry, Michael Ridgway. Michael, I know that you have a review. <laughs> We're about to read it. I, I dread to think what you've given this. Ultimately, there are just too many unexplained narrative threads in this for my liking, and not to be mean or anything, but the BBC just needs to do more than transpose a, a diet light version of a myth into space to get me on board. I found this, oh, this is going to sound so mean, I found this only sporadically interesting, but... To end on a high note, despite finding it only sporadically interesting, I was, for about three quarters of this, I was largely entertained. And it is still Doctor Who, so I would rather watch this than, say, most other things. And for that reason, I am giving this a 2.0. 2.0, nice. Boom. I was worried you were going to go a bit higher. Oh. Like, <laughs> okay. Even slightly above average, but... No. Oh, not good, a chance. <laughs> no, this is definitely below average. I don't know how 2.0 compares to other ratings I've given. That's just how I feel right now. If we've received an audio mini from Drew, then, um, hey, take it away, Drew. Good evening, podcast land. For the four-fifths of our audience who don't listen to the new Who channel, I'm Drew Backwen, and this is what I always sound like. This serial... The Horns of Nyman, 
is the first classic Who I've ever watched on the recommendation of Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. And Leon has also been kind enough to tell me what the rest of you fine reviewers think. And I'd just like to add, you wretched fools! How can you be of sound mind and give this more than a 1.5? Douglas Adams' name being attached to this as script editor is not some badge of ironic kitsch genius, only a reminder of how he loved the whooshing sound a deadline made as it flew past. This is too slow from slow TV. Every other line by Tom Baker is the same sad joke that he just thought of what they last said. The weakling scum, weakling scum, are only capable of being anonymous or annoying. And as for soul deed, his performance desecrates the noble profession of acting. The ham is poisoned. Michael, what were you thinking? Is it your nefarious scheme for me to tolerate Classic Who at its worst, so I will become addicted to it at its best? You Machiavellian mastermind! I will resist! This is not some high-water mark of classic naffness played for humorous effect. It is an abomination, and you have been brainwashed by its cult. You are lost, all lost, to the Nyman! Wow, a 4.8, Drew. I hadn't expected that. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we have a listen to Podcast Land? We definitely should. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Okay, we've got a nice handful of listener minis this week. And then some. And then some, yeah. Slight spoiler alert, we have seen some of the review numbers and we're sorry. (laughs) So sorry. Not all, but a large chunk of podcast land (laughs) who clearly favor this. It happens from time to time. We realize how much bigger your hearts are than ours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you shouldn't laugh, podcast Um, land. It's a medical condition. (laughs) Who have we got first, Jim? First up, we've got Chris Tapps Paddock. What up, Chris Tapps? Hey, Chris Tapps. Chris Tapps starts. Simultaneously hard sci-fi and the campiest Doctor Who serial ever, this one is frankly weird. It feels a lot like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, (laughs) and apparently I'm not the first one to think it would be well-suited to musical theatre. That said, novelty doesn't make up for everything, and this is at turns very dull. If less time had been spent on special effects shots of Nymons coming through a black hole portal, and more time had been spent giving those Nymons a musical number to perform and maybe some can-can kicks to do, we could have had something. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see that. But that wasn't where the BBC put its resources, and so I'm going to have to give this a flat 3.0 more for potential than execution. Nice. Interesting. Very good. Wait, he wasn't the only one who thought this was well suited to musical theatre? Is there a musical version of this? Thank you very much, Chris Dabbs. Good stuff as always. And a side little round of applause for Leon for being able to read Coming Through a Black Hole Portal without laughing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I have moments of professionalism. (laughs) How dare you suggest otherwise. (laughs) Next up, we have a... New reviewer. <laughs> Hello, Ed Corbett or Corbet. 
Hello, Ed. Welcome aboard. Glad to be traveling down this temporal road with you, Ed. Ed starts. He's just got round to writing my first mini. Hope this is the sort of thing you're after. Hey, it's always the sort of thing we're after, Ed. <laughs> um, yeah, wait. Hey, Jim, don't be so quick to judge. Let's read it first. <laughs> Just kidding, Ed. I've got faith in the guy. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When Tom and Lala were on speaking terms, they had one of the best doctor-companion relationships in classic Who. We see that here sometimes. Romana had more to do than the Doctor in this serial, who spent most of his time being a mechanic. Doctor Who has often set the bar incredibly high for hand villains and exaggerated deaths, but Soul Deed jumps it like it was nothing. The Sconans are the henchmen of the peace. Although they are so inept, Skeletor wouldn't hire them. They have Fallout 4-style technology, but as this was a culture in decline, it made sense for the sets to look old and unmaintained. I came to like the co-pilot with his pathetic berating of the meeklings and his feeble lies finished off with the indignity of dying, then splitting his pants. I actually like the nine one, although I can't stop suspecting they might be shite. Uh, who were wearing platform shoes to make them taller, but also makes them walk like eight-year-olds would while pretending to be monsters. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> Having seen Horns of Naimon before, I thought my first Who Back When review was going to be really negative, but watching it fresh, spoiler alert, I don't hate this. It was an easy watch. It was well-paced and the story built nicely, although the Sconans seemed to let the Doctor and the Meeklings go far too easily at the end. It's as if they knew the serial was nearly over. And in summary, says Ed, fine, by no means a classic. And he gives this 2.2 out of 5. That is a solid rating and a solid first mini. Awesome stuff. Thank you very much, Ed. I'm sorry I ever doubted you, man. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Keep it coming. Yes, please. Yeah. All right. Who we Let's... got next? Well, we have David E. He's David E. Hey, David. Hello there, David. David starts. Ah, you finally got to it. The plan nine from outer space of Doctor Who. <laughs> 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 yep, that's about right. The guy playing Soldeed is literally crawling the walls in every scene. Bloody brilliant. Lord Naimon, it is I, Soldeed. <laughs> oh, my dreams of conquest. Oh, God, imagine this guy as the doctor. That would have been incredible. Are <laughs> uh, the Naimons unable to do anything without going? <laughs> all the time why does the co-pilot he never gets a name keep going into the back of the ship and shouting weakling scum the whole time because it's hilarious <laughs> everything looks so cheap and david continues romana gets so much screen time and has her own sonic screwdriver the doctor spends ages arsing about with k9 and the tardis the bit with the rosette is so weird oh yeah i forgot about that and the super weird like zoom in on it very strange Uh, anyway david concludes fucking love it the definition of so bad it's good (laughs) (laughs) you know what david i am absolutely ecstatic that you managed to get there to to the so bad is good stakes i couldn't i couldn't get to the bad to get to the good <laughs> but it makes me very happy that you managed it yeah same here <laughs> love it excellent mini thank you very much <laughs> thank you, <David. laughs> please accept this long distance high five who's next <laughs> why it's that flavor maker phil salter hey phil phil starts 
Okay, I'll not beat about the bush here. When I showed the whole series to my wife, a five-year undertaking only just finished. Wow. This is the story out of everything that stuck out the most. <gasps> Frankly, it's nothing short of perfect. The synergy of hammy acting, <laughs> the script, and a complete and total lack of money make this story absolutely perfect. <laughs> Okay. Wow. Okay, Phil. Okay. Uh, also, <laughs> congratulations on getting through all of it in five years. Well done. <laughs> Are you still married? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Phil has a list of bullet points culminating in a rating that we have already seen beforehand. <laughs> How about we ping pong these bullet points, Jim? Let's do that. Go on. All right. Bam. First one. <laughs> Tom gets some phenomenal lines all the way through. It's so incredibly quotable. That guy on the ship who insists on calling the prisoners wigglings scum at every single opportunity. <laughs> Everything about Graham Crowden or Crowden as Sol Deed is perfect, over the top, with even the most normal lines made amazing. My wife and I do occasionally quote the best line, Lord Nymon, it is I, Sol Deed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I could find myself quoting that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> the Nymon. What a choice of costume design. A leotard with a skirt, high heels, and a cheaply molded Minotaur-ish head. Simply perfect. <laughs> that Nymon roar, which is literally the actor shouting roar into some voice manipulation. Just perfect. <laughs> People tend to hate on the horns of Nymon, calling it a weak end to the 70s and a weak end to the producer's time on the show. But let's face it, truly is one of the best stories ever made. Wow. And Phil concludes, just the best thing ever made, so it gets a 5.0. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I'm pretty sure my jaw is on the floor. Bits of my brain are on the walls because, yeah, you've blown my mind, Phil. <laughs> that is... <laughs> you have a huge heart, Phil. Huge. <laughs> I was impressed with David finding, you know, so bad it's good. But this this is another level because this seems to be like you enjoyed merits of it, but also found it was really bad and so bad it's good. That's yeah, quite exactly. incredible, Phil. Well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bravo. <laughs> We salute you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next up, we have Paul Waring. Hey, Paul. Hello there, Paul. Paul starts. Continuing the season 17 trend of we've spent all the money on the final story, brackets, Shada. The Haunted Island is a good example of a reasonable story let down by having no expense spent. I am not sure what to make of Graham Crowden's portrayal of Sol Deed. On the one hand, it's a masterclass on how to overact whilst keeping a straight face. But on the other hand, you wonder if the director has a grip on the production. <laughs> there are a few questions that go unanswered too. If the Nymon are so advanced, why do they need the help of technology? Technologically inferior races to collect the tribute? Yeah, good question. What is the purpose of the maze? There is none. Why are there no women on Skonos? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul continues, we do at least get a classic line delivered by monsters throughout Doctor Who. Kill him, but not yet. Almost as famous as, I'll explain later. <laughs> 
It's a good story for Romana too. Or is that Romana too? too? As she gets <laughs> things to do beyond just handing tools to the Doctor. I love that she has built her own sonic screwdriver. And whilst it's not featured much in the TV story, the novelization makes it clear that it's superior to the Doctor's sonic. Ah, yes, there you go. Overall, concludes Paul, this is a story you can laugh about with other Whovians, but not one to show when you're trying to get someone interested in the series. And Paul gives this 2.5 out of 5. Exactly half of what Phil gave us. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Thank you very much, Paul. Very good stuff. Thank uh, you, Paul. People awesome. in podcast land who are not Paul, please uh, high-five Paul online and tell him hi from us. He can be found at P. Waring. That's P. Waring. Next up. Well, we, we were warned yep. that this was a favorite of the following uh, reviewer. It's Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. So big. <laughs> yeah, so we, we were pretty warned, and definitely the likes look bigger than the beefs in this one. But we will start, of course, with the things that Michael liked. So deed, so many wonderful moments, so short a word limit. It's a close call between his amazing over-the-top death and beckoning Lord Nyborn, as if he is calling for his pet cat. <laughs> Out of the Doctor's many pantomime moments, the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation of K-9 is hard to beat. The co-pilot is berating the sacrificial Aneth as weakling scum every time he sees them. And his fabulous death, the animatronics required to split his britches, must have cost a fortune. Wait, hang on. Is this an actual thing that I missed? Like, I missed this too. <laughs> we have two minis that refer to this. I feel like this is an effect that actually happens in the serial. <laughs> Yep, okay. <laughs> awesome. I'm not re- I'm not rewatching it to find out. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> Only that scene. <laughs> Final like on the list. The Nymon is mostly threatening and had a nice there's more than one of them twist. This story must appeal to Gamony Brexiteers. A great migration of nomadic parasites is surely the prism through which racists view the world. Although the bit about an empire whose glory days are long past and whose deluded people feast on bullshit for a promised return of imperial superiority would be lost on them. No doubt the Nymon also promised the Sconans blue passports fish nice (laughs) (laughs) and sad (laughs) yeah yeah okay but even though there are a lot of likes michael did have some beefs for a tale of genocide and playing on xenophobic fears of migratory subterfuge, is this all played a bit too hammy? I love it, but the tone is very different from, say, Genesis of the Daleks that covers similar horrible themes. And second, beef. Doctor, are you saying in jest that you were responsible for King Ajayus believing his son was dead and killing himself? Outrageous! Sorry, you can't see me doing this, Michael, but <laughs> I am going, here's my friend who agrees with me! <laughs> And finally, how did anybody survive that explosion? The entire city was toast. Yep. <laughs> I did wonder when they always did the miniature shot of that, that this complex was maybe somewhere else entirely. Like the weird kind of entrance and exit from the maze suggested maybe it was like a shift of dimension or something. I don't know. Oh, I see. Like it was sort of beaming them across to it or something. I don't know. It just had a weird setup about it. That's but, possible. Hey, I'm not going to defend this thing. <laughs> 
And in summary, Michael says, there are many good episodes of Doctor Who and there are many fun moments in Doctor Who, but there are very few stories that are genuinely hilarious. I suspect this tongue-in-cheek fun will only return with the seventh Doctor story, The Happiness Patrol. And he gives this a rating of 4.7 out of 5 weakling scum Aneth teens refrigerated at 40 degrees Fahrenheit for a perfectly nutritious Nymon midnight snack. Slurp. you say, Michael. Uh, I would refer you back to Phil. Really, you call yourself a fan of this? Lovely stuff. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Very, very good stuff. People of Podcast Land, please, if you're not already, do follow Michael online and uh, give him a high five. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. No more underscores. Who we got next? Next up, we've got Peter Zunich. It's the Zunmeister himself. Hello, Peter. Peter starts. Greetings, weakling scum. <laughs> For my review, just take most of what I said from last week and double down. This one does it better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The relationship between the Doctor and Romana reaches a perfect symbiosis in this episode and remains there until her departure. It's one of the reasons I admire this era of stories. Soul Deed is so overdone. You just gotta love him. And never have I ever rooted so much for an insignificant background character as Seth, but that's probably because of Tika. The design is done with such care. Exteriors are a little undefined, yet still artistic. The interiors are fascinating to look at, with the possible exception of the circuit maze, which is understandably repetitive. Costuming and makeup are perfect. I mean, I could think of one kind of obvious exception to that rule, just to... <laughs> but, but sure. <laughs> well, Peter does continue. Ah, uh, yes. Leaves us with the nylon in the room. Ah, yes, yes, yes. It's time for another plushie. <laughs> They are enjoyably portrayed. What a horrible and yet amazing creature of contradiction. The face, great. The horns, blah. The cow, great and blah. (laughs) The deep black outfit with a gold skirt, great and dumb. The shoes, gotta go, but gotta love them. All this would amount to a joke, however, were it not for the refreshing, committed pantomime acting and the invigorating double voice effect. I simply love it. Good for you. And Peter concludes, one parting thought. Imagine being cast as a character prominently featured in four episodes of Doctor Who, but never uttering a single sound. Would you do it? Of course you would. You'd act your essence out. It's a great journey of life. And he adds in brackets, now you know how to pronounce it. Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> and he gives the horns of Naimon 4.3. Holy wow. moly. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome stuff. Yes, fantastic, Mini. Thank you very much, Peter. Excellent, excellent, excellent. People who are not Peter, you can't necessarily follow Peter on Twitter, but you should head on over to uh, whobackone.com. One of Peter's uh, articles, one of his blog posts, was published on the website uh, today. Uh, Well, the day that we're recording this, in fact. Ooh. Yeah. So thank you very much, Peter. Thank you, Peter, for both (laughs) things. 
Bing Bong, Future Leon here with two more listener minis. Yep, that's right. First off, and <laughs> I was uh, I was kind of hoping that this one was going to come in. Uh, this one comes from Joe Ford, a.k.a. Doc Oho, a.k.a. one of the two co-hosts of the The Nymon Be Praised podcast. Well, Joe, <laughs> you've really raised expectations for this mini, so here we go. Joe starts, The Horns of Nymon is a very clever piece of writing disguised as a comic pantomime, and it offers much to those who want to laugh at Doctor Who, and those who want to take it seriously. The gags and outrageous performances will make you chuckle, but when it needs to be serious, the truth about the tribute, Romana's trip to Crinoth, it becomes sedately earnest. It's the last of old-school Doctor Who, where the show relied on strong storytelling, and from here on in, including the new series, we are mostly treated to witty scripts and strong productions, with some standout exceptions. As such, Nymon should be praised <laughs> for its engaging use of ideas and dense plot construction rather than criticised for its lack of resources. The story tips over into farce. Hello, Graham. Hello, Graham Crowden. <laughs> what, how did I just pronounce that? <laughs> Hello, Graham Crowden. Oh, you know what? Mr. Crowden? Hi. <laughs> But collectively, I found this story a huge dollop of fun, says Joe, with some unexpected statements on some very tired ideas. And he gives this (laughs) 4.0, adding, plus Hubeck Wen can now pronounce Naimon correctly. Yep, that's true. (laughs) Well, I'm not surprised that you gave this a tremendously high score. A lovely mini, excellent, as always. People of Podcast Land who are not Joe Ford, Please do say hi to Joe online. He can be found at Doc Oho. That's Doc Oho. Uh, but also do check out his podcast, The Nymon Be Praised, Doctor Who Podcast. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, we have one more listener mini. This one not sent in from someone who also hosts a Doctor Who podcast named after the serial he's reviewing. Uh, this one comes from Andy Parkinson. Hello, Andy. Andy says, once again, Classic Who delves into Greek mythology. This time, it's Theseus and the Minotaur that gets the treatment. Graham Crowden, who was offered the part of the Doctor before Tom Baker got the part, is way over the top as Sol Deed and pretty much steals every scene he's in. Agreed. Although often it feels too much. Agreed. His death scene is tremendous. Also agreed. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting you now, Andy. Andy continues, The models and sets are great. The Sconnen ship has a definite USS Enterprise slash Defiant vibe. Yes, definitely true. And the Sconos locations and labyrinth also make a nice change for long white corridors. Although, whoever thought about having the metal grating on the floor wants feeding to the Nymon? It's too bloody naff and noisy. Yes, thank you very much, Andy. Yes, uh, we meant to discuss this. This is why it even featured in like one of the intro lines pre-opening theme of this podcast review, and I freaking forgot to bring it up. I hate those floors. And they they use them in... I'm sorry, I am. I'm going back on my word. I'm interrupting your mini again, Andy. They use them twice. They use them on the ship in the beginning, the uh, 69ing Enterprise defined thing, and also on Skonos itself. Like, why? Were they that expensive a prop that you felt compelled to re... Oh, you know, I, I, I'm done. I'm done. Those floors don't deserve it more about our attention. Right, Andy's mini does though. Andy continues. Costume-wise, Romana looks fab, as does Sol Deed, but Sorak looks like the Sydney Opera House on legs. <laughs> 
and the Anethans are dressed in some very 70s gold curtains. The Nymons are badly realized and in no way scary, and they walk around like they're trying to hold in a poo. <laughs> yep, that's true. Romana gets lots to do in this story and largely outshines the Doctor, and I wish we had more stories where this is the case. The story between Seth and Chicken Tika, holy moly, this is sort of what I said, is a fun counterpoint to the myth which the story is based on, but I wonder how long it'll be after they get back to Aneth that Seth ghosts her. <laughs> Overall, the acting is just a little too pantomime to make this truly great, and of the Greek myth stories, I preferred Underworld, but that said, it is quite fun, so I award this story 3.0 Gravitic Anomalizers out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> concluding, in the name of the second Scotland Empire. <laughs> Excellent stuff, Andy. Thank you very much. I love that mini. <laughs> Here's my friend who agrees with me. Um, people who are not Andy, say hi to Andy on Twitter. He can be found at Caffrey's 71 That's Caffrey's 71 Okay, back to the show. Bing bong. <laughs> okay, well, that wraps it up for the Horns of Naimon. I hope you enjoyed us ripping it to shreds, even though <laughs> it seems it's a bit of a fan favorite. But at least it seems most people kind of like it because it's bad, which is fine. Okay, yeah, we, we're not, I think we're not treading on too many toes. Good. So, what do we have coming up next on the classic channel? What will we have, Leon? Oh, it's a legendary one. We're going to be reviewing The Lost, The Unfinished the unproduced serial Sharda. Absolutely wow. legendary. Yeah, and we, we just had a little confab and it will officially be labelled as a classic in our scheme. And on the new Who channel we will be concluding a two-parter with Before the Flood. Yep, um, that's next up. Audio stuff, there will be some kind of relative dimensions and bonuses will appear at various points but probably not for a while. Yeah, so that pretty much just wraps it all up. Of course, your adventures with us don't have to end here. Uh, you can follow us online. Uh, Leon, I believe you can be found somewhere in the Twitterverse. Uh, that's right. I am uh, currently at Ponken, but hopefully not for long. Yeah. Stay tuned. Maybe not even by the time this episode drops. Wow. <laughs> so that's helpful. <laughs> And you can find me at Jimmy the Who. What now? Did you say Jimmy the Who? That's quite correct. That's exactly what I said. Cool. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear wonderful people of Podcast Land, thank you so much for listening. You've been a very quite quiet and studious audience. <laughs> Take care of yourselves. See ya. Rock on. Be around next to each other. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?